0: Welcome to the Mama Matters podcast. Whether you're expecting, you've recently given birth, or you're just starting along your fertility journey, it's time to get down to the nitty-gritty and sort fact from fiction. I'm your host, Rosie Dumbrell, physiotherapist and pregnancy expert. Mama Matters aims to provide an easily digestible, up-to-date and evidence-based approach to pregnancy, birth and motherhood, with a side dose of humour along the way. Interviews from the industry's leading experts and experience of my own adventures as a mother to three gorgeous boys under four. I want to share the stuff that helps to grow confidence throughout motherhood. Mama Matters is a podcast by Lenny Rose Active and this is what you can expect to hear in upcoming episodes.
1: Sometimes couples will, you know, if they are experiencing trouble with having sex for conception or, you know, they would rather just go through fertility treatment than actually fix what's going on in the bedroom. And as we know, fertility treatment can have a huge You know, impact or a huge burden on the couple and the relationship from a financial perspective, physical, emotional. Whereas, if we can treat, you know, what's going on from a sexual perspective and hopefully have conception that way, then it's a win win. You know, you improve your sexual quality of life and you've also saved yourself from going through fertility treatment, unless there is a diagnosis that means that you need to. Hi ladies,
0: welcome back, welcome to episode 64. Today we have one of our frequent flyers and most favoured guests, the lovely Aliyah Hashim, and she is a sexologist and a fertility counsellor working at AISSM under uh, Chantel Otten, and uh, yeah, she's passionate about normalising the conversation around sex, pleasure and fertility and she has a special interest in working with the LGBTQIA community as well as clients experiencing sexual issues relating to fertility and pregnancy and she holds a membership with the Society of Australian Sexologists and Fertility Society of Australia. So we've had her on multiple times now talking all things uh, around pregnancy and post-baby and sort of issues relating to, uh, particularly around our sexuality. And today we are talking uh, sex and the TTC journey or trying to conceive. So it's something that, um, you know, again, is one of those topics that I feel like is a little less uh, talked about, a little less covered, and we want to be able to, I guess, just shed light on... um, on everything that can come up throughout the fertility, through pregnancy and the postpartum journey. So leaving no stone unturned is the eventual goal with our series of information that we provide you. So without further ado, please can you welcome the beautiful Aaliyah Hashim.
1: Hi Aaliyah, thanks so much for coming on the show again. Thank you, thank you for having me
0: back. Always a pleasure, Rosie. <laughs> You're becoming a um, a favorite or best hits or something. <laughs>
1: That's good to know. <laughs> I'm so I excited might. that
0: you're pregnant as well with your first child. Yeah, so excited! I know. Congratulations! You've had your baby, and I'm with child.
1: So oh, it's so nice.
0: The tables have turned. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, yo, well, thank you so much for making time, especially on the Saturday afternoon when you've been in clinic all day. So I really appreciate no. it. <laughs> of course. Anything. Um, yeah. So today we're chatting all things uh, sex and TTC or trying to conceive. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. it's quite a complex. Um, kind of area or topic there's a lot of different things that um, into play when a couple you know go go to that journey to decide to have a baby um, and I guess we're really um cordoning off a section of the population the heterosexual couples really yeah. with this conversation but you might have um some other things to interject um as well outside of that sort of segment um, but I guess for the yeah. most part the biggest relationship strain that you're probably going to see is with a heterosexual couple who is, you know, um, very much forced into a a pattern of uh, of sexual intercourse to make a baby happen and if there's issues and things like that. So can you give us um, your clinical experience around what you're seeing with couples and issues around um, sex and TTC?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, it is largely... um, attributed to heterosexual couples purely because there is you know there's a penis there's a vagina there's sperm there's eggs and it is creating that baby whereas if you are a same-sex couple you're more likely to access fertility treatment and donor and things like that Um, and so in my clinical experience with couples trying to conceive um, what we find is that there's a lot of pressure you know, there's a lot of pressure if it doesn't happen, you know, within the first couple of months that something is wrong, and then sex can very easily slip into that chore mentality. Um, there's a lot of pressure to have sex at the right time, um, you know, to also have ejaculation associated with sex because you want that sperm mm-hmm. as well. And so, um, you know, that obviously can impact on desire. Um, it can impact on the relationship in general, and the relationship breakdown. We also look at um, you know barriers to sex for conception. So in my clinical experience, you know, I'm working as a sexologist. What makes um, you know what what is going on within the relationship that can cause a barrier between? You know, sex for conception. So things like sexual pain, vaginismus, or vulvodynia, or um, delayed ejaculation, or erectile dysfunction, or even arousal disorders—they're all going to have an impact on the ability to conceive as well. And they're an issue relating to sexual functioning. Um, so there's that too. Well, the mechanical I could go well on. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could go on and on. You know, I think the the thing is is when you know, you're talking about sex for conception. I think a, the women or the female partner carry a lot of that burden of treatment because they're the one ovulating and, you know, they know when they're ovulating. They know. Well, hopefully they do. It is about talking about having that education around, you know, when am I ovulating? When is the right time to have sex? But then when they do know, you know, sometimes they refrain from telling their partner as well. And then that's a lot of pressure within them to even, you know, lie about ovulation but try and have sex with your partner and and have that pressure of initiation too. So much, Rosie. I was like, wow, <laughs> so this is a lot more complex
0: than, <laughs> yeah. than, um, than I think I, I thought sort of embarking. Yeah, okay. And so um, obviously once a woman is aware of like her cycle um, and the education side is covered, as you said, then, um, you know, the, the issues become more around that pressure and the strain that it can yeah. put in a relationship. And, you know, I guess are you in your clinical experience seeing um People more at the start of their journey, or when it's um, perhaps they've been attempting to conceive for you know uh, quite a number of months, and you know, and perhaps it's not happening, or they're sort of seeing issues arise um, around mm-hmm. fertility and all the relationship, um, the pressure to to conceive.
1: Yeah, I think it's usually, um, you know, when it's been a few months and you know conception hasn't happened, or perhaps the couple have experienced recurrent loss or you know or miscarriage, perhaps their infertility treatment as well. So it's usually not at the start, you know, because what we know is you know when there's the you know when you want to start to conceive, it's really exciting for about three to four months <laughs> and then when nothing happens you start getting a little bit stressed and you're like what's going on and so that's where usually when um, couples will reach out for help you know from either a fertility specialist um, or a sexologist but it's not necessarily something that it's at the forefront of couples minds you know when there is issues around sex for conception they don't necessarily think to go to a sexologist they're more likely to access you know a gynecologist an obstetrician, a fertility specialist, or even a GP. And so, you know, we rely heavily on those health professionals to refer to us for that. So, yeah, it's a bit cumbersome.
0: Mm, I imagine um, not, yeah, that it's not often the first line of call, perhaps like a GP or someone either. Like, you know, it requires mm. you work very closely, obviously, with um, IVF and sort of clinics as as well as obviously, um, you know, through your counselling role, but then obviously you've got the sort of sexology on the side too and you've probably got a great referring relationship there, but I'm sure that that's not always the sort of the norm either.
1: Yeah, exactly, Mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes couples will, you know, if they are experiencing trouble with having sex for conception or, you know, they would rather just go through fertility treatment than actually fix what's going on in the bedroom and as we know fertility treatment can have a huge you know impact or a huge burden on the couple and the relationship from a financial perspective physical emotional whereas if we can treat you know what's going on from a sexual perspective and hopefully have conception that way then it's a win-win you know you improve your sexual quality of life and you've also saved yourself from going through fertility treatment unless there is a diagnosis that means that you need to.
0: Mm. And I think one thing that Probably um, a lot of people aren't aware of is that um, the sort of statistically uh, falling pregnant within the first like couple of months of trying is actually not that common. I think we, we did an um, episode back with Dr. Joseph Scroy and he oh, yes. sort of reeled off some stats on. Um, you know, within in 12 months, in a healthy couple in their 20s, so like, you know, young and, you know, in their sort of fertility prime, um, you know, after 12 months, it'll only be 80% of people after 12 months that are pregnant. So in the first month, it's like 20% of people or something or less that will actually fall pregnant. And yeah. it's quite normal for it to take up to a year or perhaps even more. And I think that, I think that that's just not people just don't understand or don't know that. <laughs> it's like a lot of, a lot lot of, of women yeah. don't know.
1: Yeah, you know, I think when we are younger and sex education largely centres around contraception and, and trying not to get pregnant, yet no one talks about fertility. And then they get to a point in their life when they want to try and conceive, and they're like, "No one told me that it was twenty percent chance of conception. Had I known this, had I known about a fertile window, you know, it would have allowed me to make a lot more informed decisions around fertility earlier, perhaps, um, or discuss it, you know, with their partner." So,
0: yeah, it's showing it off a lot more, a lot longer these days as well. Like I, you know, I'm a classic Mm. example of having my friends gone before me who are a little bit older and they've had struggles and so I've been like crap that's just like bang 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 so we've had like four yeah. kids in five years because I always wanted four kids and I was like if I don't go now I might not have that chance
1: <laughs> well I'm it's the same for me too but it's- yeah. <laughs> it's me working in the fertility sector. I'm like crap I need to get this shit going and I'm 29 and I'm like yep I'm probably going to be like you pop out for five minutes. Bang him out. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But it's Um, having that knowledge and that awareness of, you know, of fertility declining at 33, for example, for females, that can allow us to make those decisions, you know, or freeze our eggs or, um, you know, consider planning a little bit more. I think it's really important.
0: Hmm, Definitely. Um, Okay, and so just to That's a whole other route. Yeah. Gosh, I feel like like that's a whole other conversation we can have here. But, um, you know, obviously, um, same sex couples are, you know, frequently, uh, you know, searching out IVF or seeking out IVF because that's Mm -hmm. the way that they can, um, you know, naturally have a baby. Um, And are you seeing sort of any sort of similar issues? I mean, I guess the lucky part of that in terms of, you know, if I could call it that, um, is that you are separating out the fertility from the sexual um, sort of yeah. relationship. And so is it something that you see, um, you know, I guess the the pressure to fall pregnant and you still have this whole, like, dichotomy of, like, you know, again, IVFs, the success rates are like, what, one in five or something, or, Mm. you know, like you might need to go through a number of rounds. And so there is still pressure on the relationship for sure. And are you seeing that that affects their sexual relationship in the trying to conceive journey?
1: Um, Not so much. I think, as you said, you know, the pressure to conceive is not on them. They Are relying on a fertility specialist to make it happen for them and so that onus is you know taken away you know sex is for intimacy and connection and obviously you know a stressful thing like fertility treatment can impact on intimacy and connection of course but you know it's more likely not to cause that sort of lack in desire attributed to not being able to conceive. Mm, because, because you're not having like that, forced intimacy at that point, yeah. Well, it's not forced, it's not restricted to a certain time of the month. Um, and if it's a same sex couple, you know, you're not bound by the same rules that heterosexual couples are if they do go through fertility treatment, where well, you're not allowed to have sex in certain points because there is no risk of you know, falling pregnant through that. And so, and then also, you know, it depends on the type of relationship. If you know, if they're two females partners, um, then you know that can be really stressful because one partner is carrying the burden of treatment. You know, they're the one being poked and prodded with hormones and getting either inseminated or an embryo transfer or eggs collected. And then um, that's going to have an impact on desire because of hormonal um, aspects. But then if you're a same-sex male couple, you know, you always have to do that with the surrogate too. And so there's that added stress and... Yeah, it's just um, so. In terms of, to answer your question, <laughs> it's not necessarily the same type of pressure and stress that we see in same-sex couples compared to heterosexual couples. Mm, it's yeah, fair, but it's different. Just because, yeah, yeah. I mean, it still exists, but not to the extent that it does within heterosexual relationships. Thing. And so, what are the top
0: three issues that you're seeing, just to sort of summarise, um, that couples are coming in mm. around sex and trying to conceive, and if they're seeing you in your sort of sexology practice?
1: Yeah. Um... It is usually either a barrier. So as I mentioned, um, sexual issues relating to sexual functioning that make sex for conception difficult, as I mentioned, vaginismus or sexual pain or um, erectile difficulties. Um, It is, I guess you could say low desire or low libido and not wanting to necessarily um, have sex. And then within that, I think as well is, Pressure to initiate sex and then also communication breakdown. Um, you know, There's a lot that is sort of left unsaid and without forcing those conversations, it can be really challenging to know how each partner feels in this journey. You know, there's a lot of pressure on the female to sort of drive sex preconception because they know their cycle, but then there's also the flip side that men can sometimes feel like a bit of a sperm donor as well and sort of a bit passive in the process. Mm. Um, so they're the top three things that I would, um, or clinical presentations that I would commonly see, yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: Wow, well, well, it is a lot deeper than I had originally thought. And so how can couples keep sex and intimacy uh, or keep sex for conception um, mm. going but still keep that sense of intimacy and connection around, around what they're doing, you know, whether it's
1: mm-hmm.
0: separately or at the same time.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean? yeah. I think, well, as um, we touched on at the start, I think it's having that education around your fertile window, you know, there is so much misinformation about out there and if you don't have that information it can be very easily easy to think that you need to have sex you know every day for three weeks to be able to get pregnant whereas you know and I'm sure Dr Skroy touched on this you know you can only get pregnant for I think it's like 12 hours once the egg is released and so if you know your fertile window and you know when you're ovulating you know that you can have sex every second day within that you know three or four-day period, which takes the pressure off immensely because you know that you're not having to have sex so often and, and do all this stuff, you know, that it's just, you know, those three times, for example, and that's it. So you can plan a bit more around that. And then also I like to ask the couple, you know, how are you having sex? What does sex look like? Are you doing it in the same position? Are you, you know, is it routine? Is it monotonous? How can we actually make it fun? How can, you know, we take the pressure off sort of that penis and vagina missionary position, bang, 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 (laughs) get the sperm to the egg and that's it. You know, let's unpack it a little bit more. How can we make it fun with, you know, toys, different positions, focusing on foreplay to take that pressure off sort of that main event so that it doesn't necessarily become all about, you know, sex for conception. It can sort of go back to reconnecting as a couple as well um, and then also for the right thing <laughs> yeah yeah which will hopefully lead to sexual conception but we're not sort of placing Focusing pressure on it, it. Mm. yeah yeah and then unpacking desire as well and what does that look like for you know each of the partner you know because female sexual desire is very different to male sexual desire and that's okay but it's just having an understanding of that too
0: mm. yeah Awesome, okay. And so, yeah, do you have, um, I guess, obviously they can come to you for help, but um, Mm. what sort of, you know, what are the starting points in terms of tips if if couples are struggling in this area? And then it would be great if you can let us know where they can reach you or or where else you recommend um, they seek some resources.
1: Yes. So, um, yes, as you mentioned, if you are really struggling, You don't need to do it alone. You can reach out for help. You can see a fertility specialist. You can see um, a sexologist like myself that specialises in this area so that we can help you. Sometimes it's just having someone there. And it may only be one session. You know, it doesn't need to be a long-term thing, but it could just be worth, you know, unpacking some of that stuff, facilitating a dialogue in the relationship around it Um, because it can be quite daunting to talk about sex with your partner if you don't know how to. Um, It's our job to help with that. Um, if you wanted to give it a go yourself, I love the book Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski oh, from Clinic. I've got it right in front of me here. I'll, um, I'll give you the link. You for the link for that?
0: Yeah, I'll pop it in the show. Notes. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, it's got a really good uh, exercise in there about finding your turn-ons and your turn-offs, your brakes and accelerators, and I encourage patients to do it by themselves first and then share it with their partner because it kind of you know if you put sex for conception aside and actually just focus on desire and, and what you need to feel turned on and what is a turn off for you and then you communicate with your partner that can actually be you know a turn on in itself and that can increase intimacy and connection too so i always recommend that to patients um and what else um I think communication. communication. I was about to say, uh, <laughs> I feel like that's been such a theme through all of our,
0: you know, chats is
1: communication. Yeah. Definitely. I don't know if I touched on this with you last time, these conversation cards. I have all the props today. I'm like pulling them all out. Okay. Um, but I'll also give you the show, I'll give you the link for this for the show notes as well. But um, if you do find talking about sex with your partner challenging, It can be really useful to have something like these sort of just handy because it takes the pressure off having to initiate a conversation and think of conversation starters or prompts around it. And it can kind of help you facilitate that conversation a little bit more. An example, how can sex be more satisfying for you? How do you feel when I see you naked? um like there's just heaps of different prompts in there so that could be really useful for couples as well and just sort of you know opening up the conversation hmm. about oh, sex great. Too. I'll definitely grab the links um yeah, links for the as well. that's great yeah. such a wealth of knowledge <laughs> oh no I've got them all on hand today it's because I just finished with patients so I'm like so yeah I've got them all handy but yeah I think they're really good things to start with but again, you don't need to do it alone. There's always help available. And, you know, coming to us takes the pressure of having to work it within your relationship. You've got someone else looking after it for you. Mm,
0: I think it's such a, a theme throughout. Um, just parenthood in general is like asking for help yeah, <laughs> and not being afraid. Yeah. Like it ta- it takes a village when you've got kids, but perhaps we need to think of it like taking a village like to get to that journey for some of us as well. And, yeah. um, the more support we have on board, the better. So,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, I always try and remind patients, you'll get your baby one way or another, but how can we make the journey fun? you know i think there's a lot of uncertainty that causes stress and anxiety you know when trying to conceive when will it happen will it happen for me do i need to do fertility treatment x y z but i think if we if we don't know you know knowing that you will get your baby eventually but how can we make it better for you is really important Mm, some mindfulness along the way (laughs) yeah yeah definitely
0: oh thanks so much for sharing your amazing brain with us again (laughs) well i hope you really enjoyed that episode Uh, it's always a pleasure to chat with the beautiful alia um i will pop uh the references that she mentioned there's a book and a couple of other bits and pieces they will be in the show notes so make sure you just jump on over to our website or um they should be in the itunes bio as well anyway um, as always if you're loving what you're listening to please give us a shout out on social media screenshot the episode that you're listening to and use the hashtag mama matters or tag us at lenny rose active and please subscribe because that way you won't miss an episode and Uh, Yeah, make sure you let your mum and mates know about the great work that we're doing on the podcast. So we'll see you in the next episode, ladies. Bye for now. This episode is brought to you by Lenny Rose Active, Australian-owned, three-times mum and physiotherapist-designed, luxe active and technical wear for the pregnancy to motherhood journey. You can find us on lennyroseactive.com.au or on Instagram at lennyroseactive.